Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. I'm excited today to talk to Stephen Shattuck, the Chief Engagement Officer at Bloomerang. Over the last several episodes, we've talked a lot about data. Really, since I started this podcast, I've talked about data and especially about the story in the data and how to apply storytelling to data. Today, we're going to dive deeper into one of the aspects that we've been focusing on recently, which is what is the data saying about giving in the U.S. over the last couple of years? Previously, there have been a lot of studies that have purported to demonstrate that data that the giving in the U.S. is on the decline, that individual giving is on the decline, and primarily it's larger scale donors that are making up the difference. Over the last couple of years, through the pandemic, things seem to have shifted quite a bit. We recently had uh, Tim from Neon One on the show talking about this. Today, we're going to dive deeper with Stephen Shattuck, who, as I said, is the Chief Engagement Officer at Bloomerang. Stephen is also a prolific writer and speaker. He curates Bloomerang's sector-leading educational content and hosts their weekly webinar series, which features the top thought leaders in the nonprofit sector. I'm honored to have been one of those. Actually, no, I'm going to be one of those in a couple of months here. He is the author of Robots Make Bad Fundraisers, an awesome title, subtitled How Nonprofits Can Maintain the Heart in the Digital Age, which was published by Bold and Bright Media in 2020. Stephen describes his superpower as helping nonprofits humanize how they use technology to aid in their fundraising efforts. An awesome superpower that I'm excited to bring Stephen on to demonstrate and help us all with today. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Boris. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure. We've known each other for a little while now, and yeah. I'm excited every time I get to chat with you. It's always a fun conversation. I learn things, and uh, we get to sh share more things with the people out there who want to create more heroes for their cause. I feel the same way. We're going to have you on the webinar series. We had you on the Kindful one, and I uh, learned a lot from you. And yeah, this is awesome to be here. So thank you. Awesome, Stephen. So I've shared your bio and I've mentioned your superpower, which I'm excited to utilize today <laughs> to harness for all of us today. But I always like to ask people, since I do focus on storytelling so much, what's your story? Why are you who you are today? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this because this is a, the story always kind of annoys my wife. So now that we're going to record it, she can uh, relive it, I guess. But I, I met my wife in college and she always aspired to be a nonprofit um, person. She wanted to work for nonprofits. She did that when she got out of school, you know, she's achieved that goal, but I sort of fell into it kind of backwards. I ended up working at a marketing agency that just so happened to serve nonprofits exclusively. So the, my first kind of gig out of school, uh, was producing, uh, videos like gala videos. Uh, we were sending DVDs in the mail for capital campaign. If, if that kind of ages myself a little bit, uh, so she's always kind of annoyed that I get to do things like this. Like you didn't, you never wanted to work for nonprofits. I always did. So um, that's kind of how I fell into it. I was an English major. So it was basically, you know, work at a marketing agency or, you know, write the great American novel. And and thankfully uh, I did the former because no one needs that novel from me. But um, yeah, so I've been doing that. And uh, that's kind of where I got my chops on fundraising and eventually uh, made my way to Bloomerang when that company got started. And, you know, get to talk to fundraisers, find out what's working, what's not working, um, you know, highlight their stories, look at the data, 
that's what I've been doing a lot of the last two years, like you said, just to kind of help people meander, or, you know, navigate through this, this new reality that we, that we find ourselves in. Awesome. Like so many of us, you came into it, came into it through the side door. Yep. <laughs> uh, the nonprofit space, but you got to bring skills that nonprofits desperately need. Uh, and I'm sure they're all grateful, the ones that get to work with you for <laughs> what you've been able to bring to the table and been able to bring to Bloomerang since then. But let's go ahead then and dive in and see what is going on out there, Stephen. What's happening in that sector? Yeah, I mean, this is what we've been looking at, you know, look not only at, at what Bloomerang customers are doing, but but all the studies. You know, you talked to Tim last week. They did that great study over at, at, at Neon One, uh, the fundraising effect in this project. Giving USA the Black Bud study, um, all of it seems to point to what you said, which is people really responded. You know, during the pandemic, I know we're not quite out of it yet, um, but those giving levels have really kind of maintained that increase that occurred in 2020, which surprised a lot of us. Right? We figured, dang, that was a tough economy. That was obviously a very severe pandemic, and still is in a lot of ways, but. When you look at what happened in terms of donor response, the generosity was there and the capacity was there. And it was those small dollar donors that led the way, right? It's, it's exactly what you said. It wasn't just those billionaires kind of swooping in to save the day. It was people giving under $250 that was the biggest cohort um, of donors. So we were all surprised by that. Although I wonder if maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because if you look back, on all of the past crises or, you know, difficult times, 2008, 2001, the dot-com bubble, like all the way back to savings and loan, like the nonprofit sector really does kind of, um, you know, resist those outside forces. And I know there's probably people listening and, and watching who maybe had a, a really hard couple of years. And I don't mean to, you know, erase that experience. I, I mean, it as an encouragement. Um, you know, the capacity is there, the generosity is there. And in times of crisis, whether it's a big international pandemic or, you know, a tornado in, in your city, people respond. But what we found looking at our customer data was a little more nuanced. The people that asked, you know, and, and contextualized those appeals for how they were experiencing the pandemic specifically those are the people that had some of their best fundraising years ever. And it wasn't just things like food banks or, you know, the kind of causes that you hear about as being like COVID causes, which I don't really like. I don't think such a thing exists, but animal shelters, environmental organizations, uh, other social services, some of those folks had their best years ever. And really what we found is it's because they kept their foot on the gas. They didn't, put themselves on the sidelines, right? They didn't allow themselves to be talked into this myth that we don't matter or our cause doesn't matter as much as maybe some other folks uh, cause. So that's really what I've been shouting from the rooftops because there will be another crisis, right? Whether it's local or global and, you know, don't decide for donors because if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. And that wraps up our episode for today. That's it. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm also kind of, Serious, because that is really, I think, the, the key takeaway. But let's, you know, dig a little deeper and, yeah. and get a little more out of you as long as we've got you here, Stephen. <laughs> so first of all, you know, you say 
maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. And I don't know if you saw me shaking my head vehemently. No, we should not have been. Yeah. People respond to crisis. People respond to um, whatever gets that oxytocin flowing, whatever gets that empathy going, right? We naturally respond to it. We feel an obligation to our world, to our society, to the people we care about, to the causes we care about. And that realm expands significantly. I talk a lot in, in, in my storytelling uh, workshops and, and online courses and whatever else about the greater the common villain, the more people it's going to unite against it, yes. the more people are going to understand the pain that that villain inflicts. And so the more people are going to rise up to try to combat it. So absolutely, in a time of crisis, more people will give because they're going to feel for the, their fellow humans suffering. Absolutely. And some people feel powerless too. They want to feel like, geez, I'm stuck at home. I can't do anything. You know, who knows when this is going to end. Donating to a nonprofit may be the only way that they can exercise some level of control over what's going on around them. And that's a real opportunity. Like that's, that's a, that's an advantage, right? There's something you don't hear very often that the nonprofit sector has an advantage over maybe the for-profit sector, for example, to generate that. But yeah. you mentioned the underlying data. I, the thing that I always think of is, you know, we could see our customers that were, you know, moving up into the right versus the ones that were kind of moving down into the right. And among the people that were increasing, yeah, they were asking more, right? We saw people slow down the asks, you know, maybe they got caught into uh, this trap of, you know, we don't matter, our cause doesn't matter as much. But even among the people who kept asking, there was a, uh, a nuanced difference. There were people that were asking, but not sort of contextualizing their need or how they were affected by the pandemic, like you said, versus the ones who were. And the ones who were, who sort of addressed that elephant in the room, they did much better. And maybe those people who didn't truly weren't impacted, although I kind of find that hard to believe. I think everyone was impacted in some way. But maybe they were concerned about, I don't know, donor fatigue or, you know, talking about something that nobody wanted to think about. Um, so that is a big takeaway we found is for sure, keep asking, you know, don't decide for the donor. But if you're being impacted by some external force, that's the rallying cry. That's that common enemy. Like you mentioned, that's a perfect way of saying it. If that exists, tell people and they allow them to rally around it, um, because if they don't know about it, they may not find that appeal to be as urgent um, or as necessary as, as the ones who do mention those things. Right. In some cases, the organization is suffering from the very same thing, this pandemic, for example, that uh, donors are suffering from or that uh, the recipients, the clients of various uh, organizations are suffering from. So you can be in there and assuming you have a strong relationship with your donor base. They're going to care about your survival, your work. They're, they might think, okay, at the moment, putting on a play is not as relevant as producing more oxygen uh, uh, oxygen machines. What are they called? Right. Respirators. Yeah. Sorry, in hospitals. But that doesn't mean that they're going to switch their identity to now no longer say, oh, I don't support theater. I now only support medical treatment. 
Yeah, you nailed it. It's a scarcity mindset. It's like, well, if they care about that cause, they can't, they don't have the bandwidth, right? Or the capacity to care about ours. And people are diverse, right? People give to multiple causes. But I, I also think what you said is really important that, hey, you know, you want us to be around when this is over. D don't you want plays and performances to resume? Don't you want this, you know, YMCA to open back up and be able to have classes and things like that? That was a really strong um, sort of case for support that we saw work specifically this this idea of you want us to be around when this is over, right? You can sort of future or protect our future by donating now. And the people that cared about those causes pre-pandemic, they didn't suddenly stop caring about animals or the performing arts or, you know, whatever it is, just because there's a pandemic. Um, you know, there's room for both, right? Yeah. And I think you know, we were talking about arts, performing arts before we hit record. Those are the folks that that really kind of stood out from the crowd, if that's the right metaphor, um, and and survived and not only survived, but thrived during such a difficult time. I think some of them did and some of them didn't, nope. to be honest, without yeah. revealing any uh, names, if you will. I spoke to a lot of arts organizations over the last couple of years that were really struggling. Yep. They didn't want to appear tone deaf, yep. which I totally understand and respect. Yes. But at the same time, they didn't know how they could survive. And some of them shut their doors temporarily. Some of them may have shut their doors permanently because they didn't feel like their cause was as important, as uh, significant. I, I hate to use the word as sexy as yeah. some of the others out there in a time of crisis. And, you know, again, you and I were, were talking earlier, there's always going to be a crisis. Yes. Right now, there's certainly a crisis that's eating up a lot of my mental capacity and my spare uh, discretionary giving money, mm -hmm. you know, trying to support uh, the folks in Ukraine and trying to help end that situation in yeah. a positive way, as positive as possible. But that doesn't mean that I don't care about the other causes that I've been supporting Absolutely. all this time. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the number one question we got over the past two years is should we fundraise right now? You know, do does our cause matter as much? Will it appear tone deaf? And we said yes, and uh, for sure it matters. But, you know, you can do that in such a way that it won't appear tone deaf, like maybe saying, hey, you know, we want to be around because we want to be able to provide... People, people need entertainment. People need art, right? Uh, what, what more important time is there to have art in your life than, than these truly difficult times? So that case is there. And that's where I think that contextualization is what made those appeals successful rather than just saying, hey, it's a pandemic. You should give to our, our orchestra. It's like, well, wait, well, why? What do you mean? Go that level deeper um, and really tug on those heartstrings and, and, un, you know, unlock what it is those people have always kind of cared about you. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think of another cause that matters more in, in, in darker times than, than those performing arts folks. So my heart goes out to them. And I hope that, that so many of them will be able to, to stick around because we need you. Absolutely. Um, I'm a fan, of course, of the <laughs> arts, but, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the arts might not be at the bottom, but they're on there. They're self-actualization yeah. and they yeah. are education. They are force for good in, I mean, I don't have to sell people, especially th those folks in the arts, but I, I found it honestly a little disheartening 
how a lot of arts organizations felt about themselves and their work. That That's the thing. Know, they didn't know how to speak to their existing base and to you know try to grow their base during this time of upheaval. That's the heartbreaking thing for me. You mentioned the webinar series. We were doing a webinar probably March or April of 2020. And one of the attendees chatted in like, hey, we're just a library foundation. You know, we're not saving lives. And I kind of grabbed the microphone from my guest and I said, no, like, my gosh, people, people need the arts. They need books, right? I mean, there are children. My, my, I told the story of my kids. We love to go to the library every Saturday morning. It's one of their favorite activities. Like, we want that to, to be there when we can finally get back out of the house in the safe way. That's, that's the, the situation we find ourselves back in. So that to me is don't sell yourself short, right? Cause there will be another crisis, like you said, Boris, and you will not only matter, but you may even be more critical, especially to the people that already care and, and hold that cause near and dear to your heart. So I, I hope people find this encouraging. That's kind of how I think you mean it too. And I definitely mean it. Um, cause there will be something else that happens. So we teased since the beginning of the episode, we teased that we've got data, that we've got data on what's going on, what was working, what wasn't working. And I personally want to hear it because I haven't gotten it yet. And I mean, I've, I've read some of the reports out there, but talk to me, Stephen, what happens, what happened during the pandemic, what's going on now and what's yeah. working, not working. Well, aside from, you know, asking and not putting yourselves on the sidelines. That was definitely a big one. But we also looked at those folks that were, you know, doing well and, and maybe even doing better than in past years. A couple of things stood out. Um, the, the prevalence of phone calls. So we're, we're a donor database, so we can see what kind of interactions people are making with their donors and in what format. And we saw phone calls not only shoot up, you know, probably because we couldn't do events and maybe even direct mail was harder. Um, but not only were more phone calls being made to supporters, but we could really see that they were moving the needle on things like revenue and donor retention and things like that. And I think it's because, especially in 2020, we were isolated, we were social distanced, you know, that phone call from a nonprofit to a supporter, that may have been one of the only few you know, personal interactions that they encountered and probably the only one from a brand, right? From someone who wasn't a friend or a family member or a coworker. That not only made a big difference in 2020, but again, it continued to have efficacy through 2021. And I think it's, you know, for all the reasons I just said, but also because it's so surprising to get a phone call that's a pure thank you or is, you know, showing curiosity about why you support and it's, I sound kind of cynical and, and, and I, I hate to be surprised, but that's kind of rare, right? I can count on maybe one hand how many times that's, that's happened to me from a nonprofit or anything that I've supported. Um, uh, personal emails, same thing. So, you know, there's mass emails where you set up an email blast to all the people in your database, all 2000 of them or whatever. We also saw people reaching out individually, you know, me literally opening up Gmail writing an email to Boris, like, Hey, Boris, thanks for having me on the show. Like, you're awesome. You know, let's stay in touch. The same thing, not only increased, but also did have an effect on that year over year kind of revenue increases. So the last two years were um, this kind of reemergence, at least from our view of truly personal outreach. 
And again, what better time? And maybe that's what spurred it on because, you know, we couldn't do things like events or in-person interactions or things like that. So that was the only alternative. But I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to like, wow, maybe we should make this the a normal thing that we do during any kind of, of climate or, or, you know, crisis, if there is one, because um, people give the people, right. And, and fundraising is very relationship driven, you know, this, um, but I feel like because of all this technology available to us, maybe those kind of analog or one-to-one or, you know, old school formats or mediums have kind of by, come gone by the wayside, but did come back because of pure necessity, right. Because that's all there was out there. And I hope that that sticks around because there's always been evidence that those things are, are impactful. Um, but we really saw those things be even more impactful over the last two years. So another thing that I've been shouting from the rooftop, um, reach out to people, you know, cause it is very personal. So there was a lot of great stuff in there that I, I want to touch on and really highlight. And I'm really glad that you, you said, you know, people give to people because earlier you had said, you know, nonprofits reaching out to individuals. It's not nonprofits that are on the phone. You're it right. Is a person at your nonprofit. Yeah. And you said, you know, how many brands do that? I don't, I don't remember any time. I don't know. Uh, I'm wearing Banana Republic sweater. <laughs> right. Banana Republic has never called me and asked, hey, Boris, how are you doing with this pandemic or with this crisis in Ukraine? Right. They don't It'd be care. weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be weird. It might be interesting, but they don't care. They care. Hey, Boris. Here's a coupon. Maybe come back and spend some yeah. more money. Get the matching tie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas a nonprofit does care, hopefully does care about its constituents, about its supporters, certainly about its clients, has things to say and has questions to ask. You've got to ask. You've got to be curious. Not just, hey, why do you support us? But also, how are you doing? Yeah. Reinforce that connection. And I would imagine that that was a question behind a lot of that outreach, either by phone or by email. It's like, hey, Boris, you know, you're a monthly donor. We want to say thanks, but also want to say, are you okay? Like, this is this is a tough time. We just want to make sure you're okay. And you're right. Like, buying a shirt is not personal, but donating to a cancer charity yeah. because your grandmother passed away from that form of cancer, that's very personal. Um, so to be able to reach back out acknowledge it. Yeah. But learn that information. I love the word you use showing curiosity. I think that's something that we definitely suffer from as a fundraising sector is why do these people support us? And there is most, most often than not a story behind that. Maybe not as much as during times of crisis where you're kind of, you know, driven by that urgent need and not necessarily care about that cause. And I know you and Tim talked about that, um, and that kind of giving definitely does happen, but you know, a lot of the gifts, there's probably a, a very personal reason behind it. If, if that can be the conversation starter, that's a pretty darn powerful conversation. So I do want to ask though, you mentioned in your CRM, you might have 2000 folks on your, on your list. I don't know which organization has the bandwidth to personally call 2000 people. Yep. How do you navigate that? Do you, it seems almost cold to prioritize certain people over others. Yep. Is there a strategy that you recommend that you've seen work or think is, is a good way to go? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because it's hard. And there's tons of people like me who are saying like, you're not doing enough and here's 20 things you should be doing. And I get it, it's hard. And you know, if you've got that big data set, 
I think there are a couple low hanging fruit. You know, I mentioned first time donors. That's one where, you know, we have the data and I will share and we can link it in the show notes, I suppose, but the phone calls really work. You know, they really do seem to have an effect on not just retention rates, but the speed in which you receive the second gift, that window really shortens if they've been called and they tend to give more. And I think it's, it comes down again to curiosity, right? So you call them, yeah, Hey Boris, thanks so much for your first gift. You know, happy to have you join our community of donors, by the way, why did you give, you know, what, what spurred that gift today? And if you can learn, you know, or get that story that will help you subsequently communicate to them, right. And can sort of contextualize that reason for giving. So I love first time donors as a priority. If you get a phone number and you're not always going to have a phone number yep. and, and don't recommend you go out and try to find their phone number or like call <laughs> their employer, that'd be a little weird. But if you got a first time gift and they gave you a phone number, if maybe it was not required on the form or they offered it up somehow, that's almost an invitation. So that's probably going to take that list of 2000 down to under 10 because it may not happen very often. And maybe that's doable in, you know, an hour or so on a Friday afternoon, call those people, say thanks, welcome them, maybe find out a little bit about that motivation. Um, monthly donors. You know, that's one that maybe flies a little under the radar because it's it's happening automatically. Maybe the dollar amounts are small, you know, five dollars a month doesn't seem like that much, although over the lifetime, that's a pretty significant lifetime value. Um, hey Boris, you know, thanks for being a monthly donor. You know, you're keeping the lights on. Just want to say thanks, check in with you, make sure you're doing okay, you know, how's the family, whatever it is. Um, that kind of outreach. Uh, you know, what are those segments, you know, get out the whiteboard and, and write down, like, who are those people, first time donors, monthly donors, lapsed donors, people have been giving for a long time, everybody will probably have those. But depending on your cause type, you know, volunteers, alumni, former service recipients, people who have adopted animals from us, who are those types of people? And then you can kind of decide, okay, what do we want to say to these people? You know, can we automate some of these things? Um, should we ask for different things from these people go through that exercise and identify it. But to your original question, I think those first time donors, I would probably start there. The retention rates are only like 20% on those folks. And I think it's because they just kind of get thrown into whatever ongoing communications are already scheduled and we don't take the time to find out who they are, truly welcome them. Um, and then they just kind of become another name in that giant bucket in that database. Um, but I would start there and, you know, th there are other common sense things, you know, dollar amount, you know, if you can only call one donor and someone gave you $500 versus $5, I'd probably call the $500 donor. Although I don't think dollar amount is a, a great way to segment because you never know someone's capacity, you know, their true feelings about you. Um, but there are some common sense things I think can guide your efforts. Do you have a phone number? You know, that's going to be part of your call list criteria for sure. But those new people, you really, you really got me going on that curiosity thing. I think that that could be the lowest hanging fruit that I would recommend people, you know, go to. I want to add one more thing that is probably so common sense that it should go without saying, but <laughs> if within your donor data, you can determine who is most impacted by whatever emergency or crisis is going on. Yeah. So if you've got elderly folks within your donor data, 
um, you know, you've got that kind of segmentation or yeah. folks with Eastern European backgrounds right now. Absolutely. Right. Uh, or whatever the, the situation might be. Maybe those are also top of the list in terms of whom to reach out to, to really show that yeah. you care and you understand their world. I love that. Yeah. Just it, having it, that awareness, like, wow, something's happening. It might be affecting our supporters. We should check mm -hmm. in on them. I love that. Yeah. And you could also similarly, uh, assuming the conversation goes in that direction and people are open to it, you can get their stories so that you could share that out to your community and really help people feel like they're a part of a community. And within that community, there are people that are being impacted and here's how they're dealing and here's how you're helping. So not just the clients, but also donors. I love that. That's another, uh, yet another byproduct of the curiosity is crowdsourcing that content, right? That's mm -hmm. always sort of a, a log jam for folks is how do we get the stories? Well, let them tell their own, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a gold mine. Day. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we are coming up real fast here on <laughs> that <went fast. laughs> the mark that I shoot for, but I do want to ask you a couple more questions. We are, of course, coming out of the pandemic. I hope. I say, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm really hoping that, you know, whatever next wave of Omicron or Deltacron or whatever heck they are <laughs> does not come out of the woodwork and bite us in the collective. But uh, assuming for a minute that we are coming out of the pandemic, events are returning, people's lives are getting back to some new normal. Can we make any sort of predictions as to what donor behavior is going to be like going forward? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the generosity is always there, right? It's the, that's not the challenge, the capacity, because we live in a capitalistic society. Um, it's there, I think what's going to change is how we sort of tap into it. Um, but you know, things are, are a lot better right now than certainly they were two, two years ago. But confidence is still kind of low. AFP puts out a confidence survey every every quarter, and then the last one came out. And people are still worried about things like donor fatigue and and you know the pandemic uncertainty and all those things. And I would just tell people like you know be bold. You matter. Um, whatever happens in the world, we still do live in a pretty generous society where there is a lot of capacity, which is kind of a negative in a lot of ways, but that, you know, at least we can funnel that into the nonprofit sector and do some good. Um, so I think that that will always be consistent, no matter what sort of changes we go through. Um, certainly the technology landscape has, has really changed and evolved. There's so many amazing tools out there that are, you know, available to nonprofits that two years ago, five years ago, certainly did not even exist or were not very affordable. Um, but I, I would say stay confident, you know, don't allow yourself to, you know, don't put yourself on the sideline. That's the the real killer, right? And, and no, no matter what's going to happen, there will be another crisis, whether, you know, it's it's localized, a natural disaster, hopefully not another pandemic. Um, but, you know, stay confident and you can weather whatever happens. If you just say, we matter, our cause matters, what we do matters, and people care about it, even if they also maybe temporarily care about something else that is very timely, they still want to come back to us. You mentioned technology, and uh, we were talking about talking to donors and prioritizing, and it actually occurred to me then, but I just remembered now something that technology can do is the folks that you can't reach out to personally directly, maybe offer them a way to reach back out to you. 
say that your lines are open mm -hmm. for them to talk to you because not everybody's going to want to, it might be a very small percentage, but even just putting that out there makes people feel like they matter, that you care about them and you're there for them. Yeah. Put the invitation out there. And even that small percentage, those are people that are kind of self-selecting yeah. into a really engaged group. And you might want to know who that, that small group is of, you know, true believers for lack of a better phrase. You can go back to those people during, times of crisis, certainly capital campaigns, plan giving. Um, it's don't be discouraged by this, the small response rate, because those yeah. small groups of people, those are your people and you want to hold them close and know who they are. That's your most inner circle in your community. Your, yes. Your, your truest fans and, and supporters and heroes. Those are your buds. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for uh, delivering all of this valuable information and insights and suggestions to us. Do you have any tools or resources that you recommend the nonprofit heroes that are listening to this or watching this? Go check out. Well, if this is the first episode that you've heard, go back and listen to others because you've had some really awesome conversations with people probably way more insightful than me. Um, so I, I hope that they'll do that. This is episode 50 something. So there's, there's a ton of great conversations they can listen to. Um, the fundraising effectiveness project, we kind of mentioned that. I'm sure Tim talked about that. Check that out. There is a lot of really good re free reports there, free research. And then on, on Bloomerang's website, we've got the webinar series that you mentioned. We've got all kinds of templates and, and resources and guides and case studies there. Totally free. You don't have to be a customer. In fact, more non-customers consume those than customers. Um, so that's all there uh, at bloomerang.com. Um, and yeah, we'd love to keep the conversation going. You know, connect with me on LinkedIn because I'm always publishing or putting stuff out that I find that I think is interesting or cool. Um, trying to uncover those things, and uh, you know, you'll get those if we're connected. Awesome. And you did mention during the episode a couple of different things that we'll also link to, including the fundraising confidence survey. Yeah. Um, and some other nuggets that, that you shared with us. And we're looking forward to getting a link from you for some of that data that you were talking about. Yeah. So go check it out for themselves and explore with that. And I do want to tell everybody that Stephen did write a book and um, I'm <laughs> totally envious of him for getting a great book together, and putting it out there. It's Robots Make Bad Fundraisers. Of course, it's available on Amazon mm -hmm. and we're all fine booksellers, but we'll link to that as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we'll have Steven's LinkedIn profile linked up as well. So you could quickly and easily find him and connect with him, which I suggest you do. He's a really great guy. And as I'm sure anyone who listened to this episode or watched this episode will know for themselves, he knows what he's talking about. He's got a lot of great value to share. So thank you for sharing that, Stephen. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this. This is a really good service to the sector. So thanks for having these conversations. Anytime. And we will have to have you back another time. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to being on your yeah. series really soon, just in a couple months now. Yeah. So that's going to be fun and exciting. And I'm sure that the folks on my email list, they're going to hear all about that. So if you're not on it, maybe get on it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but thank you all so much for joining us today for listening to me and Stephen talk about this topic. Hopefully you got a lot of great insights and ideas on how to create more heroes for your cause, because we need you to do that. We need you to activate the inner hero in every individual on this planet if we ever have a chance of making this world what it can and really deserves to be. So thank you for doing that work. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you again next time on the Nonprofit Hero Factory. 
you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.